could be brown, I could be blue, I could be violet sky, I could be purple, I could be hurtful, I could be anything you like. Go, Dan. It's your, it's your you know what, Dan? No, see, it's your you just ruined the episode. No! You know what's going to happen now? What? Facebook is going to take us down. Facebook's going to take down this episode because you just saying oh. copyrighted material. Did you? I did not want to talk to you about this live in person. Well, then you should not have sung a song that you knew would get us. Tri- You're a jerk. Wait. You're a big jerk. I've been avoiding talking to you about your little. You and your leader, Mark Zuckerberg. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to confront you. All right, peel back the curtain. We uh, we were honored to be invited personally by Facebook, maybe even by Mark Zuckerberg, to feature our podcast on the Facebook platform. A brand new, something brand new that they rolled out for for only the the creme de la creme of the podcast industry. And they said, "Men seeking tomahawks." That looks like a show that we want to use as one of our launch podcasts for the Facebook podcast product. I accepted the invite. I, I was like, I don't even need to ask Jack. Of course he will want that additional publicity and all those eyes and ears and everything. And next thing I know, you're getting on to me for it, and I'm the bad guy. Oh, Dan. I'm so, so flustered with you right now. <laughs> they Okay, so the real, the real story is, is that we play independent musicians on the program. And as Dan said, unbeknownst to me, he put Men Seeking Tomahawks, which is what you're listening to, by the way. Hi, everybody. Hi, Dan. He put that on their their platform. And so I started to get messages, notifications from Facebook saying, hey, we just wanted you to know that we took half of your 50-minute show and it's muted now. Thanks. You're welcome. And so I started listening to it and they started muting uh, songs that we have written explicit permission to play half of episodes are gone and i'm like what what is this and and it's They're still there they say, it's just like silence like yeah it's just silent. five minutes of silence in the middle of the episode so like you know facebook is the cause of the downfall of western civilization that kind of sucks you know that whole nugget but then they're also needlessly censoring me like i can get on there and spout misinformation as much as I want to until the cows come home. But I can't play music that I have permission from the artists who made the music to actually play their songs. And all I wanted to do was a cutesy little intro where I caught you off guard doing the little uh, thing that people are doing. And, and now you've just... I wasn't going to bring it up. You've but when created you sing, an when you a copyrighted song. It's like you're just making things worse, not better. <sighs> Damn, I'm... Other than that, I'm, how are, how are I'm making it worse on Facebook, uh, a format where we've had all of one listen so far. So, oh no, oh no. A rolling so rock much. will pick up moss as it goes. It starts with no moss on it, right? There's no moss on the rock before it rolls, but as it rolls, more and how, more gets how picked about, up. How about just no moss, Dan? In in the the and that's in Spanish in, it in works the, too in the native tongue of of your beautiful bride no mas Dan okay no I mas can, uh, I can agree to that jeez Louise so you're probably not listening to us on Facebook but anywhere else we appreciate you listening to us it's gonna be a great show Jack take it away oh wait no uh, let me <laughs> send it right back over to Dan because I think he's going to be the one to tell you what this is. And that is not yeah, well, passive aggressive. That is just saying literally Dan formatted this episode, so that is why I'm giving it back to him. Yeah, because Tomahawk Nation's just hearing us like work through these issues live on the air. So um, there it is. Uh, but yeah, this is going to be a fun one because of all this uh, this tension in the air. I wanted to do a lighthearted, fun episode this week, and it's all about inventions and designs. So we had that hit with the interior design episode we did a couple couple what maybe a dozen episodes or so ago. Uh, so going back to the design well, and we're going to kick things off coming up next with a fascinating look at design features and things we encounter every day. That'll make sense when we get there. Uh, but these are things you wouldn't even recognize being there until you have me to introduce them to you. And our lives are better for them. So that's coming up next. I'm excited. I'm excited to because we've, we've, uh, we've delved into this kind of idea before, this kind of concept, and it always goes well. And... Uh, to be honest, we we need we need a re- we need a friendship reset because between you and your whole uh, praising of the Zuck and then our buddy Cobra uh, kink shaming me for eating vegetarian, like that's another 
Like, I just feel like there's been so much weird tension in this little, in Tomahawk Nation. And, uh, we'll have to circle back to that one later on another episode of our choosing. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see about that. So, guys, coming up next, Dan is going to walk us through some really interesting, uh, product inventions and design and all sorts of fun and fascinating stuff. Uh, but before that, we are going to go back to Australia. This is this is odd. Two weeks in a row, we have had some hard-hitting stuff coming from down under. I'm so excited. I don't know if we've had a better music night. We're going to start it off tonight with a group that I am super excited to play. Off the album Robot Style, this is the Australian hard rock band, The Terror Adapters. And this is their song, Blast Off, right here on Men Seeking Tomahawks. On Adapters with their track Blast Off. That is off the album Robot Style. And, uh, every so often, you just need a little bit of a hard rock outfit from out of Australia, and uh, they fit the bill. If you uh, have the opportunity, make sure you go check out their music video. You can find that and links to all of the other musicians featured on the program by going to Men Seeking Tomahawks. Dot com. I send it to you, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, that was awesome. And uh, this segment is going to be about some awesome things in the real-life design field. So, like I said, we've done like interior design segments before, but this is like real-life design, things that all of us see around us on a regular basis and don't even realize it. And I'll give you an example. I'll start here with a blockbuster of an example, if you will. And this is all about movie theater seats and curtains. And you might have noticed they're always red because it's the first color the human eye loses sight of when the lights go off. So with this effect, people are able to focus more on the screen than the surroundings. Wow. I did not know that. Now this next one, take us from the silver screen to the sewer because it's all about drain pipes. 
And Jack, when you look under the sink, what shape is that drain pipe in? It's in a U, Dan. Makes a U, and you know there's certain theories behind it, and you know everyone might have their own idea. But the the real reason why is because dangerous gases actually can accumulate in those pipes, and that U and the way the water flows through the U and actually creates a seal as it's going down the U and back up. And it locks in those dangerous gases so that they never make it out into the household and they stay there in what's called the water trap. Oh, that's really interesting because I always thought that I thought that was called like the peat trap or something. And I, I've, I've known like to it. gather like solids or something, right? Like, yeah, is that what you thought? I always thought it was more about solids, not gases. Well, the, exactly. Yeah. I've, I uh, funny story. Uh, there was a girl in high school who uh, had lost her mom's ring down the sink. And so I pulled out like the Reader's Digest home <laughs> fix it book that they would sell you. Like if you got a subscription, they'd be like, and you get this free uh, how to fix your house book. And so we had that on the shelf at, at the house. And I remember flipping through and finding the page about how to save stuff from the sink and I read it all. Got on my little bike, rode all the way to her house. It was like 45 minutes. And uh, I saved the day. Save the day. Got now, first, then I got to first base because I saved the day. <laughs> you know what? It was it was uh, hard earned. Now that's interesting because you could have been releasing dangerous gases into the house at the same time. Gonna not touch that one. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, so this next one takes us to Europe. And are you familiar ah. with the uh, the uh, idea of the or, or the concept of the Swiss railway clocks? It's something that's kind of a famous uh, thing. Swiss railway clocks? Yes. I am not. All right. So these are the clocks that when you go to the, like when you go to the subway in New York or the train station anywhere else and you've got a big clock so that you know when the train is going to be there. But these clocks in Switzerland, they run 1.7% faster than the normal clock. So what that equates to is it's a 58 second minute instead of a 60 second minute. Okay. So it gets to the top of the hour, the top of the minute, the the big hand or the second hand gets to the twelve o'clock, uh, two minutes or two seconds early, yeah. and then it pauses there for two seconds. And the reason it does that is because it gives the train two full extra seconds to arrive at the station on time, which helps maintain the illusion of punctuality. So, the, so what you're telling me is the Swiss have been cooking the books. That's that's what they're doing the books, but it's you know when you first read that it's like 58 seconds Okay, obviously it would like time would move a little bit faster, but it no it pauses when you look at these clocks You would check out a video online or something second hand stops for two seconds now Me my experience with the subway is like they're never on time within so like that two seconds Like you'd need it to stop for two minutes or at least (laughs) to get there So maybe this says you know, it's a complimentary of the Swiss system in general, but the thing that really kind of is funny about that dan is that like swiss made watches are supposed to be this <laughs> renowned quality right you're you're supposed to be very accurate uh they're, they're you know keep time very well so to hear that their what their their clocks have this gimmick kind of it's kind of weird right that is ironic isn't it so we'll stick to europe in this next one and this is london pubs and this one was fun for me and i think you know, anyone who's either been to London or been to like around here, there's all kinds of like London themed bars and they all have names like Elephant and Castle or the Bat and the Bell or the Red Lion, the Owl and the Cat. And it just seems like you, those are the case because those are fun names to have. But sure, most of those bars are actually centuries old, at least the legit ones in London. Right. And they actually came to be when a large part of the population was illiterate. So they couldn't just give it some name that the patrons had to read they actually just ah. had to put pictures on the sign wow. and they had to be pictures that were recognizable enough to know oh okay there's an elephant next to a castle this must be the elephant and castle bar wow that yeah. that's interesting that's it makes sense right because like around here we have like lion and crown or something like that and they always have a name like that and that's why i would love you've not been to europe have you no dan let's let's you and me go to europe i'll let's go to do, europe Let's do soccer. You and me, let's yeah, let's do soccer. I want to go to a pub. I want to be a. I want to be at a pub that has been on this earth for far more decades than I have. I want to do that. That sounds like fun having. Not just a, a themed London pub 
in hmm. the suburbs yeah, of Dallas where like the top, every menu item, you got your fish and chips and you got your, uh, I don't know, your meat pie of some sort, shepherd's pie. No offense to the Londoner down on Beltline, but like, show show me the real. I just, I think you and me should do that. Let's Let's go to Europe, Dan. Let's do it. And speaking of pubs brings us our next one and jack you've d- worked in bars before you've worked behind the bar and bar back and all that stuff indeed and this one's about the glasses in those bars and why they're always see-through glasses and apparently this is just psychology 101 that everyone in the bar including those wait staff folks can see how much booze you have left in your glass and if you walk around the bar or the club with an empty drink you look like a cheap ass, right? So yeah. if you had a if you had a you know a, a red cup, a solo cup, or something like that, you could kind of uh, nurse it or walk around or have your empty cup. But mm. when you're in a bar with clear glasses and it's empty, like the bartender knows, hey, time to order another one, buddy. That that sounds like some old school logic, and I, I wonder how many establishments still utilize that feature. You know what I mean? Well, I think most most places still do have clear glasses. Now, they, they do, might not I recognize wonder, that's why they do it. Right, exactly. But it still functions that way, right? Like if your server walks by and they're like, oh, you need another one? It's much easier to see. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't want to like – I mean I know, God, now there's no there's nobody left. Like nobody's working at the restaurants anymore, so there's no one to – you know, there's no reason one, one way or the other. I know. Talk we about talked this, about but. the Coca-Cola remix machines. They're just going to start doing that with the beer <sighs> at the bar. over. Yeah, indeed. This next one, this is uh, the the old pharmacy pill bottles. And they're orange, as most of us probably have recognized, because the color blocks out UV lights, which can damage the medicine. Uh, but it, they're also transparent enough so you can see through the case if you still have medicine left. I want to say there's a similar uh, functionality to the packaging for, like, hydrogen peroxide. Mm-hmm. You know how, like, the old school bottles used to be brown, that brown color? Yeah. Oh man, do you do, do you remember getting scrapies and grandma bringing I do, the hydrogen, the hydrogen peroxide? peroxide was good because it didn't burn like alcohol. Rubbing yeah, alcohol like you just dump that on there. Yeah, but the hydrogen peroxide it was dude like the sizzle to a little bubble you had to you had to blow on it. You had to so you're saying it. that but the hydrogen the, peroxide would be damaged so it had to be completely like blocked out. Yes, and and people have pointed out how new bottles of hydrogen peroxide are actually clear. Which I think make renders it like I think it turns it to water. I, I want to say it does something like huh. chemically alters it to where it's no longer hydrogen peroxide. Again, I uh, <laughs> wish I fifty percent of the facts should have more research for you. So I'm just spouting things. I mean, we're on Facebook now, so this you know, like you That's said, true. I can I can say anything, right? Yeah, so. exactly, and it's true. Yeah. Uh, the next one. This is in a completely different direction. Tennis courts. Uh, they almost always face north to south instead of east to west because the sun rises in the east, sets in the uh, west. So this way, since in tennis you're basically just looking one direction or the other, that's the way to you can play from sun up to sundown without the sun in the eyes. You know, there's this very minor sports franchise called the Dallas Cowboys, mm. and uh, they, within the past twenty years or so, opened a uh, opened a very nice stadium, Dan. Beautiful. And it was noted in construction by one of our heroes uh, when speaking to the construction crew that that stadium does not adhere to that very sound logic. And uh, you being our resident person who watches Cowboys games still, you is the sun ever a factor in, in those games ever? <laughs> well, the other thing to point out here is like most football stadiums are like bowl-shaped to where it's 360 degrees of seating, thus right. like blocking the Blockage. sun. So even if it was facing the wrong direction, yeah, you're still going to um, not be too affected by it. However, the Cowboys decided to put giant glass windows on each side of the stadium. Therefore, it's, yes, oriented incorrectly. But then not only is it oriented incorrectly, but then it's got giant glass windows that are never covered because you want the light to come in, right? Yeah. So the sun is just beating in the eyes of, of all the players uh, one, you know, on one side of the field or the other. So what you're saying is the historical uh, sport of tennis has long held this established, very simple north-south concept. 
and, and along comes Jerry Jones, and he just knows better. He just knows. I mean, he just knows better than tennis. It's all about who's, the Benjamins, who's, baby. Who's smarter? How does that even? What Benjamins, Dan? What are you referring to? Because <laughs> I, I don't know. Everything I Jerry think, Jones does is influenced by money. So I, there must have well, been something. I don't know he, what. I, well, I'm just. No, nah, I think it's. I think you're giving him far too the much stubbornness. Credit. I think he would have made more money winning some Super Bowls, and he probably lost some games that might have gotten him into a Super Bowl had his players not been squinting at 3 p.m. on a Sunday. Okay, to be fair, does that not affect both teams equally? I don't know. I mean, if both teams are playing on the field, it's an equal chance that it's a home field advantage as it being a home field disadvantage. That's a good That's a good question. Okay. so then- I will... Write that down as well. Yeah, write it down. So sticking to the Easts and the Wests, but in a non-sports way. The Bloods uh, and the Crips. The East side of many cities are poorer than the West. And this is specifically big cities uh, and cities that have been around a while, so historical cities. And the reason is that the majority of cities are located in the middle latitude of the globe, where winds will typically blow from the West to the East, and in those cities, often there were factories and other industrial-type things, uh, and the pollution would be blowing from west to east. Mm. Therefore, the wealthier people stayed on the west side, kind of like you know you don't want to be downwind of someone that's uh, you know had some some bad dinner. Uh, sure. Kind of the same thing, but on a pollution level, and it kept people away from the east side. I've I've heard this same logic applied to north and south, though. Like I feel like industry typically resides on the south side it does and they say like growth like population growth typically moves north from the city because you live north of the north of town and there's lots of people up there yeah south of town you might drive a little ways before you get there yeah there's not so much down here and there but there is a lot of smokestacks there is a lot of industry that's right so when the pollution is coming your way, and let's be honest, it's coming everyone's mm. way at this point, uh, you got to head for the exits, right? You do. So that leads me into the emergency exit doors and the design behind those. And you might notice that emergency exit doors only push outwards. There's no pull function. You push mm. to exit the building. And the standard was actually implemented after a Boston restaurant called Coconut Grove caught fire in 1942, and it had pull exits instead of push. And hundreds of people died because Gosh. the exit doors were pull only. And with so many people like trying to rush out of the restaurant, you couldn't pull because everyone was crushed against the doors. And sadly, they died. So ever since then, it's been kind of an industry law, I guess, uh, that emergency doors push instead of pull. That That is awful. It, it does remind me of a Mitch Hedberg joke about... Uh, a bouncer coming up to him at a club and saying, sir, you have to move. You're blocking the emergency exit. And it's like, how does that logic ever apply? Like, where do you think I'm going to go? (laughs) Or what do you think I'll be stopping from going out of this exit? Because I will be the first one out. Yeah. First one out. Yeah. Another place that we encounter one way doors is at the airport. So usually when you're uh, leaving your plane, I don't know if you've seen, but they've started implementing even more security measures. Like when you're exiting the kind of secured area, they have all these signs that say, once you go through these doors, you cannot come back in. All that stuff. Um, and one of the places you're most often likely to go when you're leaving uh, the airport from your your plane after it's landed is the baggage claim. And the baggage claim, if you've noticed, you probably have if you've ever had to use one, it's often placed as far away from the arrival gate as possible. And they do this so passengers don't have to wait around for their luggage. It gives the the crew unloading the planes and sending it down to the baggage claim a little extra time while people walk from their plane to the to the baggage claim area. That makes sense. It does, yeah. And we'll stick with the airplane theme here. This is airplanes in general. And if you've ever noticed, a lot of them are either white or mostly white with some, some details on them. Racist. And that's because... Racism. No, it's not racism. Because racism, Dan. Let's be honest. It's not because racism. It's because if you paint a plane, much like when you paint a wall a dark color or something like that, you have to put your primer coat on first, which is usually white, and then you paint over it with whatever your color is. Well, these planes, that that white color you see is the primer coat, and there's several reasons why oftentimes that's the primary color of the plane. First of all, white reflects sunlight, so it prevents overheating, so you don't have to cool down the plane as much. Uh, paint's expensive. It costs somewhere, sometimes up to $200,000 to paint a plane. 
So if you just kind of stick with the one coat, saves a lot of money. Also, paint's heavy and costs a lot of money to fly planes. So the less weight, the less fuel you burn. Uh, it's easier to spot cracks on a white plane than a dark-colored plane. So when you're doing your walk-around inspection, definitely want to know if there's a crack on there. True. And then finally, in the sad case of an ocean crash, white contrasts with the water better than a dark color. Mm. Sticking. I, I gotta ask you. Like, yeah, go on. ahead. Wait, 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 wait. I got. I got some questions here about planes. While you're while you're on the subject, yeah, there's a couple things that have come up in the past few years about like efficiencies with planes and like I hate, dude. I hate traveling by plane. I don't know how you do it as much as you do, because it has. It it is just the worst experience in in the world, and and that's 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 an exaggeration. I get, I I acknowledge that right yeah, now, right here, right problems, now. Right. But I've heard things that they they want to do to cheapen the experience even further. One of them was that they were gonna stop manufacturing planes with windows, so the fuselage would be just one, <laughs> you know, uh, just smooth shaft if you will what are your thoughts on that what are your thoughts on that because it would it would make the planes a lot less expensive to manufacture and hopefully that trickles down because you know trickled down works right normally when i travel it seems especially when it's daytime or nighttime i guess seems like most of the windows are shut anyway so you're not really getting like that natural light in like very few people utilize the windows being up in fact especially being based in texas first thing you do when you get on the plane or the flight attendants will say, no, don't raise the windows because we're trying to keep the temperature down. So we need to keep the sunlight out. So they're already telling you not to do that. I've never heard that. That's interesting. Yeah. We often, or they'll say like, as you, before you exit the plane, if you could pull your windows down so that we can keep it cool for the next, you know, group. So, okay. For me, because it seems like most people keep the windows down anyways. Um, I guess it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'd be cool with it because they said they would still have like video screens where you could like be a, a like look outside, which might be kind of cool. <laughs> like instead of the windows, it's just a little LED LCD screen or whatever it is. And maybe it's you like, got, like uh, the, the VR cam, and you're just like, oh. <laughs> or you can change of... what the scene is. Like, okay, you're flying from Dallas to Houston, <laughs> but it's like I really want to look out the window and see the Grand Canyon. So yeah, there it is. So what about okay? So you're down with that. What about the whole idea of like the standing flights? Have you heard that thing where they basically? You got standing seats, yeah. Removing the seating like a subway. Definitely sounds like something Spirit Airlines would do. Yeah. Um, I mean, that sounds miserable, especially with the long flight. Agreed. You had a miserable flight recently. I don't want to bog this down too much, but you you sat next to a man of stature. (laughs) Yeah, and, and, you know, nothing against men of stature, but I do believe there's like... You know, oftentimes I've known people like friends that that's their that's their uh, situation. They've got a little extra junk in the trunk, and they buy two seats, and it is fine. Everyone's happy. This um, individual was a two seater, is what you're telling. Was me. a two seater, and I it just got me wondering like what's what's the judgment call? Like who makes the judgment call? Like right. is there is there someone at the at the gate that has a like a tape measure? <laughs> Like you want them to have like that box that they put your carry on luggage in. They're like, sir, can you, can you sit in this box? Let's see you sit in this box. Is that what you're, you're asking for? Like, I don't know. Like I, it just got me wondering because I was sitting, um, in the window seat and the man of stature sat next to me and it was, I was pinned against the window. Um, and it was not comfortable. Planes already aren't comfortable. And it just got me wondering, like, you know, I know there are rules about, you know, having to buy two seats if, if you need it. And I very much felt like the person that was sitting next to me probably would have qualified. But then it got me thinking, like I said, I don't know what that official qualification is. It's just well, like dude, an eyeball test or. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to bog down too much on yeah. this because I know you've got lots for us, but like we probably <laughs> need to have a planes episode. Just mark that down in your calendar because I've had a nightmarish experience that was very similar to what yours was. Okay. Well, to get this back on track, kind of, I think this is my favorite one from this list I pulled together, um, and it's something that I use every day, and that's my Converse shoes. I'm a Converse All Star wearer. Have you ever worn those? Had them. Uh, the best Doctor Who had them, but <laughs> I rock the Sambas because Freddie Mercury and Willie Nelson rock the Sambas. Okay, well, Dan rocks the Converse, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I've always noticed it, never known why it was the case, but. 
the soles of the shoes always have like a little bit of fuzz to them. Have, did you ever notice that on Converse? Yes, and I know why. You know why, and I'll share it with everyone. Please. This is for tax reasons. It makes It's like, what? But the import taxes on shoes, and these are shoes that are manufactured internationally, and you bring them over, you bring them here to sell. One of the ways that the government takes advantage of overseas manufacturing is they charge tariffs on overseas products. And shoes get tariffed at 25%. However, if half the sole is fabric instead of rubber, then it's classified as a slipper instead of a shoe, and slippers are only taxed at 2%. So Converse is saving 23% taxes by just having a little bit of fuzz on the sole and classifying them as slippers. That's crazy. It reminds me of a similar uh, try to like loophole kind of thing that uh, Marvel Comics has tried to run in the past. And uh, just a little bit of quick Google uh, here. But basically they they said that um, Marvel, let's see, Marvel Entertainment uh, has been helped by two attorneys to lower their import taxes on its action figure sales by arguing that superheroes like the X-Men are less like human dolls than more and more like non-human toys. So basically, because like mutants in X-Men are yeah. supposed to be, you know, lesser than in the narrative, uh, they kind of opted to to do kind of run a so similar So the tariffs play. are more expensive on human toys right. versus like a car or something yeah. like that. Listen, listen, judge, these mutants <laughs> are supposed to be freaks. We're just going to run with that. So that's it's kind of funny but that would be similar. interesting to see like what the court cases are that go into these because you know like that's hundreds of millions of dollars from like the converse rule alone sure so like this is certainly something that's been protested before but um does I mean, any the, the shoes are still fuzzy does any professional basketball player i know they don't wear classic chuck taylors but does any professional do any professional basketball players wear converse shoes anymore I do remember they came out with like more tra- not traditional, but I guess like modern day basketball shoes. Yeah, and I feel like they wouldn't have done that unless they had some sort of endorsement. Um, but that was probably a decade ago now. Yeah. Um, but some of these shoes, like the, the cost to is so astronomical to like have in a player wearing your your clothing that they might just have you know figured, hey, like let's leave the the bidding. To your Reeboks and your Nikes and your your Adidas and let's just kind of keep doing our thing. I don't know. That's that that man, Dan. You are uh, just churning out the ideas tonight because we've got a couple of uh, sneakerheads on the roster and we might need to consult them about that. Like I would really yeah. like to discuss the the legacy things such as cons and where they fit into the game at this point. You know, write it down. You've got the pen and paper out already, so I'll make a note. And this last one, I call this the most fun of them all. It's a little little bit different than the rest. Um, but it's about cartoon characters. And I never noticed this until I read this fact. And then I started noticing it everywhere when I looked around. But almost all cartoon char- human cartoon characters, even animals, they have some sort of, of collar or tie or necklace. Like you think about the Simpsons, like Marge just has the necklace and... Like you look at the old ones, like the Flintstones, and like I forget the guy's name, but he has like he has like a collar on, but no like clothes or in like, or no, that's like Yogi bear, right? He has a collar, but yes. no clothes. Yes. And then all the, like the Flintstones, they all have like some kind of collar, some kind of neckline. And this is something that Hanna Barbera, which several of those um, cartoons I mentioned were, were produced out of the great Hanna Barbera, the great Hanna Barbera. Um, but they realized that making cartoons back in the olden days, when you were kind of hand drawing each of these, uh, each of these, screens or whatever um, is really expensive and they were trying to find ways to save money and they realized that if you have some sort of neck piece uh, on the characters you can make the bodies be static for a whole lot more slides and only animate the head and so if you watch some of those old cartoons like the heads and the mouths will be moving quite a bit but the bodies themselves will stay pretty static yeah and they were able to, for a seven-minute cartoon, I guess that those old-school ones, when they first discovered this, were about seven minutes in length, and they do it like two or three of them throughout an episode. Um, they were able to reduce from 14,000 frames to 2,000 frames simply by this one tweak. And they actually credit this, this method 
with saving the cartoon industry just because, especially like I said, back in the 40s or whatever when these first started coming out, it was just not feasible and not economically viable to be, you know, animating 1400 frames per seven minute episode but 2000 frames they could do so yeah they they credited this with saving the cartoon industry and i thought it was pretty fascinating can can you imagine like i don't think i could be an animator now and animators now have adobe and they have tablets and they have technology but when you hear these stories about 1940s cartoonists you see like the old school, like the original Superman animated cartoon, and it's just, it's beautiful, you know, or you see like an old Disney film or you see like Fantasia and, and like, there are some, like they got, they've got some workarounds. Like, like you just said, Hanna-Barbera, like, let's just keep this, this part of the body stagnant. Neck down so we still, just gotta, yeah. yeah. But, and then like, you remember how I know the, uh, the Robin Hood Disney cartoon, like that's a good example mm-hmm. of how they just recycled a lot of that animation. Regardless, I mean, just the amount of work that they put into that, and it's 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 super impressive. And they're like that industry is so fundamentally changed at this point, comparatively speaking. And it's I mean, it's still inaccessible to you or I. But yeah, it's crazy, especially when you look at some of these shows where they'll go into the archives of some of these cartoons and like literally these were sometimes, you know, drawn, <laughs> hand drawn and they like it's a flip book because that's how it was done. Insane. Uh, but yeah, so that's all I got for this uh, this first half. And the next half we're going to get into like everything I mentioned now, consider like successful design features. Um, but coming up after the break some things that are maybe not so successful so we're going to dive into about a dozen failed products uh, some you might remember and others you'll be wishing you hadn't heard of because some of them are hmm. maybe on the growth side a little gross can't wait dan can't yeah. wait so that's coming up next equally i cannot wait to do this because i am about to re-embrace one of my favorite professions that i've ever had and i'm going to uh, become a jazz radio dj i'm so excited about this we haven't had any jazz on this on this most recent run so it's very very cool that i get to do something uh that's again really great music on the episode this evening so i'm super excited so guys coming up next dan is going to walk us through the world of where design went wrong but before that we are going to hear some brand new brand new jazz off the album Lone Ant Marching. This is a jazz musician out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Goes by the name Connor Lee. This is the song Heat Stroke, and it is right here on Men Seeking Tomahawks. Thank you. 
album lone ant marching that was connor lee with the uh original composition heat stroke the player list there is connor lee on saxophone guitar bass and midi drum programming who is joined by mason reinhardt on saxophone and if you'd like to hear more from connor or any of the musicians featured on today's program go to menseekingtomahawks.com back to you dan Man, I know that felt good for you to do the credits again, like you used to do in the olden days on the jazz station. I I will say this: if if uh, if I had to pick one job in my entire forty years on Earth that I adored, it was playing jazz records on the radio for free, like being a volunteer jazz DJ in Little Denton, Texas. Like, remember when Forrest Gump came back and he just mowed the lawn at this high school or whatever for free? That's the dream. That's that's the dream, Dan. So being a volunteer radio DJ is better than being a volunteer podcast host. I'm not volunteering for this. This is uh, free therapy. This is free therapy and lots of other weird things. All right, well, let's get into this because this will get your head right. This is some fun. Yes, please. Some fun failure talk and failures that are not ours. So it's always more fun to poke poke at other people. So this first one, and this is going to be a little uh, two-way conversation because I'm going to ask you if you've heard of any of these things as we go through them. And the first one is the ESPN phone circa 2006. Does that sound familiar to you? Oh, uh, I'm going to say barely. I kind of sort of remember something like that because – that was the the wasteland that was all sorts of gimmicks. You had the there was a game phone. There's all sorts of things. So I I buy that there was an ESPN phone. Yeah, you're right. This was the era of like okay, we've started to get through phones that functioned as phones, 
And then there was probably this, and this was kind of through my college years, but like, you know, you had your chocolate bar phone. Like they're like, hey, what different ways could we make the phone slide? What different ways could we make them flip? What new functions are we coming up with? This was before they were like full computers in your pocket. We we hadn't quite figured out how to get the porn on the phone yet, is what Dan's saying. Like, <laughs> so no, Jack, the ESPN phone has nothing to do with porn, despite uh your your uh, claims there. Unfortunate. Um, but this ESPN branded flip phone provided grainy video highlights and twenty four seven sports news, and it cost three ninety nine dollars, or it was free with a sixty five to two hundred and twenty five dollar a month plan. Whoa. Now this was, yeah, this was not like a, a this month? was not like. <laughs> Did you just say a month? Yeah, so this was not like, this was not like. Oh, okay, you pay this amount for your cell phone, and then you also get this feature. This was like an additional feature. Oh, how like and, kids? Okay, two 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 things here. Kids these days, right? Am I right? And oh, how the mighty have fallen. Those two concepts are Venn diagramming in my head so hard right now. So now let's take it in a completely different direction, and this is one that uh, I don't know why I would ever know that it existed, but the Harley-Davidson Cologne. I'm assuming you did not uh, apply this sometime between the time of 1996 and 2005. So you're only telling me that Harley-Davidson Cologne existed for about a decade? Is that really? It did. Really? Because I feel like Harley-Davidson is the thing that is slapped on just about anything. I don't feel like they're very selective about their branding yeah and that's that is the interesting thing here is like you said their their brand extension strategy is pretty much like anything that you can put the logo on they do um but this is one that okay so yeah so i I look actually to that same point the numbers are about five percent of harley davidson's revenue like as a brand comes from like merchandise and branded things which is actually a lot like no other car manufacturer is getting even, you know, 1% or more, like all their revenue comes from their vehicles, but Harley Davidson over 5% comes from stuff like this. But this, yeah, considered a failure. Um, it was in the mid nineties. Uh, now I guess I should ask like, what's your, uh, your, your cologne experience from that time period? This would have been like middle school, probably. Uh, Aquadigio was, that was the top of the mountain and I might be saying it wrong. I never really got <laughs> Aquadigio. It might be what I saw in a commercial yeah. one time. Like that, that was, uh, the end all, like that, that was where we landed. I mean, we tried some other stuff. We tried some brute, you know, we tried uh, a couple other Tommy, the, the Tommy stuff, but, uh, yeah, the aqua de Joe was where the magic happened. I feel like my evolution was like, it went from like aftershave, like finding aftershave, like that my dad had and like thinking that that was cologne and trying to figure out how to utilize that. Um, but then it went into, you remember these, like the, the, they were at the grocery store and they were like fashioned after Tommy oh, yeah. or fashioned yeah. after CK, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I definitely had like the $5 bottles of, of cologne that were <laughs> imitations. And, um, here's the other thing. It's a little, little bit different, but did you ever use Banaka? Yes. <laughs> I used Banaka in sixth uh sixth grade right that was the beginning of middle school yeah i used it <laughs> within a, within a week i ran out of banaca and i remember coming home and like i couldn't talk i was like <laughs> my throat so bad right now and my mom was like what happened like i don't know <laughs> but then she she's like well this banaca how is it empty already because i was literally like i i was so goddamn dumb dan I just, every time I was walking to a room, it's like, <laughs> I just hit the banaca. Yeah, I definitely did the banaca. And I don't even know if that's around anymore. And, and some people might There's not no way. know what that was, but it was basically this like aerosol. It was kind of like scope, but in a spray bottle, mm-hmm. right? It was just breast, breath freshener. It was breast freshener. Is that what you just said? <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, you, it, may, it may, would burn. It could have been. It would burn too bad. I'm editing this show, so I'll, I'll tell you what you said. <laughs> But I feel like it's funny because I was so just effing dumb at that point in life that I want to say like Ace Ventura or something oh, yeah. like that. did Where he like sprayed it, it but missed his mouth. That's like yeah. a famous scene. And and I, I feel like going into sixth grade, I was like, well, I, I want to meet girls and I want girls to think I'm attractive. 
So I think this is a thing that like classic, like it's this classic, uh, something I could utilize and I did it and it just, ah, just destroyed (laughs) my throat. Yeah. But to your point, like it wasn't even to do like, it wasn't even utilized by us in middle school to like freshen the breath. It was just like the act of the spray and like people seeing you use the spray. Like that was the cool the coolness was just the, it, the spray. Uh, yeah, it was a performative thing that you were doing saying, hey, I'm this put-together thing when I was the least possibly put-together thing I could possibly be. Goodness, nostalgia. Well, uh, another thing that... I don't know if it's nostalgia as much as it, as much as it is like unpacking trauma. That's true, yeah. One of those things where you can like picture where you were at in oh. time. <laughs> the last time you sprayed Banaka. <laughs> Cringe. It's not even a brand that exists anymore. That was like the brand name, Banaka. Never heard that again. Um, but this is also a way to pick up the ladies. And this, these are a pair of sunglasses that I'm kind of shocked existed. The Nike Magneto. Are you familiar with this? No, but breaking news, Dan. Hit the sounder. Okay. If you want Banaka aerosol breath spray peppermint right now, I can get it for you from Walmart.com. For the low, low asking price of four dollars and ninety-five cent. Well, I don't want it, but if and the Dan, listeners want it, there's where you find it. Just so you know, there are thirty-four reviews on here, and I will not bog this show down <laughs> any more so than I already have. But I am writing down for you that in the future we will be reading Banaka spray reviews off of Walmart.com. Hopefully, no one hits the button, and that does that never comes to pass. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the Nike Magneto. So Nike created a pair of futuristic sunglasses that didn't have temples. And if you're familiar with sunglass terminology, the temples are the parts that go from the lens over your ear. So these literally were just the just the the part around your eyes. Now here's the catch: uh, these have to stay attached to your face somehow. And the way that these stayed attached to your face is you had to glue magnets to your face. So that the shades could snap on in place, like like two double sided tape magnets that you put on your eyes. Could you imagine how silly these looked when you weren't wearing the glasses? I'm I'm looking at uh, video or images of this right now, and uh, the third image that comes up on image search is a Nike Magneto virtual tour of Museum of Failure. <laughs> There you go. That's a good place for these to live. Um, okay. Next one, Coca-Cola Black, and this is B-L-A-K. Oh, yeah. So Wheelhouse this is, right yes, here. this is not as long ago. This is 2006 to 2008, so we're getting yep. a little closer to the current times. But this is the premium coffee craze that I guess started around that time, and Coca-Cola decided that they needed to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh and they created this, what all you know, review said was just this disgusting kind of half Coke, half coffee beverage um, that they actually kind of brought back in 2019, and it's called Coca-Cola Plus Coffee. So similar concept, but I, I hope it's a new recipe. I'll say this, Dan. So around the time of Coca-Cola Coffee, I was... Uh, entering the latter stages of college and trying to find my place in this world as one will. And uh, our mutual friend Pops got me on board doing some uh, some drafting, some engineering drafting. Got a, got a job. And uh, he would, uh, he, he, he drove me to, 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 the, to the job site and he being an old ass man was the type to want to get on the roads at approximately 5 a.m. And being a college student with a active nightlife, this was one of the worst developments of my entire life. And I remember going to our local grocer and, uh, acquiring several packages of Coke coffee and uh, 
on my way into work every morning at roughly 5 a.m., I would be chugging at least two of those. And I do not remember how they tasted. I don't think I know. I don't think I knew what good coffee tasted like at that point because I was still very much in my coffee infancy. But I did have a number of those, and I just hoped that they were working their devil magic on me because I would be at work in the the six o'clock hour, and and, uh, I would be working until about two, which was cool because I could work a full day's work and get out mid-afternoon. But then I would immediately go to sleep roughly at 4 p.m. just to start my hellscape all over the next morning. So thank so during those <laughs> thank you Coke Coffee. Yeah, so during those same years, um, you we were associated with the the wrestling promotion that that we've talked about before, and they had a deal with Rockstar Energy Drinks, uh, which these are early days of energy drinks. This was not when you've got the well refined monsters and all of that. This was like when they were still trying to figure out like okay. There's Red Bull, and then there's everyone else trying to figure it out. It was like UFC, like monster, like energy drinks and Ultimate Fighting. At that point, were basically the same thing. Where analogously, if you, you could have a sumo wrestler fighting a 120 pound Taekwondo guy, much in the same way that in energy drinks, you could have something that had five trillion uh, micrograms of caffeine in it and some taurine. Yeah, a whole, and a whole lot of other things that you're like, I don't know what these do, but I'm going to hope they give me energy. Um, so anyways, uh, that, that relationship with the wrestling promotion allowed us to have cases and cases of these drinks in our refrigerator for free. And I, too, was uh, of college age and trying to, to wake up early, even though we stayed up late. And I would have the 9 a.m. classes, the first ones available on the schedule. So about 8.45, I'd head out of the house uh, chugging one, sometimes two of these guava rockstar energy drinks in the purple can, and ah. so that was eight. That was eight forty-five. Uh, without fail, every morning by nine fifteen, I was rushing to the restroom, yes. and uh, you know whatever whatever filthy pizza or wings or whatever else I had managed to scarf down the night before was quickly exiting the system. Um, and it made for a you know a refreshing day after that, but it was kind of one of those things. You know, we talked like three hours ago about the the Swiss train clocks. <laughs> yes. uh, and you could, well, it's three hours and ago. You, yes, and you could uh, set your set your Swiss Swiss timepiece by it. Um, you could do the same thing with the turnaround of how long it took these uh, Rockstar Guava Energy drinks to go through the system. And Jack, last but not least, but sticking with the food theme. Uh, and this is the most controversial one on the list. And I debated putting this on, but it was just such a home run that I felt like I had to do it. Um, this is the Colgate frozen beef lasagna. <laughs> I'm in from the early 1980s. I'm in, and yes, I'm this is now. the Colgate. This is the Colgate that you know and love as the toothpaste brand. God, I love it. Um, you know, in the 60s, your microwave came out. You started coming out with microwave dinners. In the 70s, like, they started getting refined. By the 80s, Colgate decided for whatever reason that it was kind of a new field for them to delve into, and that's microwave food, and they rolled out that beef lasagna. Now, this is interesting because you referenced the Museum of Failure, and they're the ones that unearthed this concept that – didn't really ever get off the ground. It was considered an early failure and never, maybe even never made it out of the testing phase. Uh, but the controversy comes in where Colgate, as a brand, claims they have no record of this ever actually happening, mm. despite there being uh, some evidence. So they, they, and it's very interesting because Colgate doesn't say, no, that never happened. Their, their kind of company line is, we don't have a record of that, or that's not something we've got you know got active records on so that leads me to believe it happened but they're really trying to just forget about that colgate lasagna wow that is that is uh it's a disgusting thought by the way like i don't know why because but there's something about it that that makes it disgusting well you think about all the boats that have been jumped onto you know given popularity and in that time frame tv dinners was the boat right so 
I, I by all means understand why every, probably lots of brands jumped onto that. Uh, but I love, I love that idea that they're like, we're not saying it didn't happen. We're just <laughs> telling you to F off when you ask about it. So, yeah. We're just not going to confirm this. Good, good, good work tonight, Dan. I, I think that, uh, that was a really fascinating little jaunt that you just, a zesty jaunt if you will, that you just put us through. I like the uh, comically oversized cake you've wheeled in here. I wheeled in here. Don't blame me. I thought you wheeled that in. Whoa! Hello, men-thinking tomahawks. It's the one and only Marty Razmatez, pitchman extraordinaire to the stars. Holy cow, there is confetti everywhere. Dan, are you still here? <laughs> I'm over here. The confetti's all around me. Oh, uh, <clears throat> hello, Marty Razamataz, you said? Uh, you said you were a pitch man. We were, coincidentally enough, just talking about some failed product launches themselves. Failed product launches? Never heard of her. <laughs> all I've got is a crim and a crim, not a dud and a bunch. Oh, wow. So what sort of new products do you have for us today? Feast your eyes, boys, on the latest and the greatest offerings coming to you where finer goods are sold. First out of the bag, who loves them some birthday parties, huh? Yeah, yeah, Dan and I are well-known birthday party enthusiasts. Of course you are, of course you are. And what youthful sibling isn't all too familiar with the desperate parental strategy known as an unbirthday present? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's when the parents give the other siblings a small gift on their sibling's birthday to try to avoid some kind of tantrum. Indeed do. Well, why not jazz up your next unbirthday event with the latest and greatest in unbirthday technology? I give you unbirthday candles. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, they so they just look like birthday candles. Farthest thing from it, my lad. On birthday candles explicitly cannot be used on your birthday. Might even be a federal crime in some areas I'm hearing, you know, these days. Well, anyway, uh, the candles are great. They come in assortment colors, sizes, and even festive number candles. You know, uh, they're available for all the uh, mathematician nerds out there. You know what I mean? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, uh, what other products do you have to pitch, Marty Razamataz? Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> nah. yeah, all of you millennials out there will love this next one. Absolutely love it, I tell you. Have you ever heard of them fan-thangled uh, concept, uh, the Internet of Things? Uh, yes. Well, prepare your bottoms for the Internet of Things a credit card. What? So how does that work? Like a dream, Dano. <laughs> you say to be on the internet, you need the money. So uh, fine upstanding purveyors of capitalism such as yourselves will bring your goods and wares and uh, bric-a-brac into my Wi-Fi enabled storefront where I will take your things from you, assess their value, then give you a fair market offering of your things conveniently loaded onto a uh, Foley's gift card. <laughs> Foley's? Ah, uh, yeah. This idea just sounds like a pawn shop where instead of money, you get gift cards to a very long since dead department store. Like, there's not even a Foley's anymore. Yeah. Like, three generations ago. You boys are hard sells. This is a tough crowd, huh? <laughs> well, uh, try this delectable offering on for size, gents. Are you familiar with uh, online styling services? Uh, what do you mean? Like, the clothing subscription boxes or like stitch box or like zombo fix oh yeah that one correct the mundo and now get ready for the razamataz clothes box you bring us your hand selected carefully curated laundry and for a nominal charge we will professionally clean and box your clothing and then have it delivered to you when you return in our shop in two or three days <laughs> Marty, that sounds like just regular dry cleaners. Oh, no. Much more expensive than a dry cleaner. <laughs> and how are you uh, arriving at your shop? Uh, might I suggest the uh, Razzmatazz ride chair? Oh, gosh. Okay, so now you're launching a, like an Uber-style service? Eh, kind of, but better. We have a wide selection of low-mileage, well-equipped autos that uh, we'll share with you. You know, for money. 
All right, Marty Razumataz, you said you're a pitchman extraordinaire, but it's really sounding as if you're just lazily rebranding birthday candles and are trying to dress up a pawn shop and opening a dry cleaners and now a used car lot. Yeah, it's it's like, do you own a shopping strip with like a pawn shop and a cleaners and like a car lot or something? I, I resent this accusation. The Razzmatazz Shopping Center also has a pizzeria with only moderately poor health department reviews. Oh, gross. So <laughs> where is this shopping strip? Just so we make sure to never, ever go there. Uh, well, I'll have you know that it's conveniently located right next to my birthday candle fa- uh, I mean birthday, uh, unbirthday candle factory. <laughs> There it is. Busted. There it is. Mm. Shame on you, Marty. Uh, We do appreciate you stopping by and uh, telling us about these unbelievable new products. And I guess that wasn't a real birthday cake either. I don't guess so. Uh, Yeah. Oh, well. So, uh, unbelievably, uh, this is once again the end of Men Seeking Tomahawks. Be sure to subscribe to the program on your favorite podcast app. Become a tomahawk-seeking person by joining us on Insta, Facebook, and or Twitter. And to hear more from the musicians featured on today's program, go to menseekingtomahawks.com. For Dan, I'm Jack. For Jack, I'm Dan. Marty, put that fire out. You can't light those inside. Hey, hey.